0: Glory to his name. There are a couple of things that I love to be reminded of as we worship. I mean, I love to be reminded of all the attributes of God, but his sovereignty is one of them. Amen. It's, you know, when, when you when you come to the realization that God is sovereign, you're like alleviated. Amen. Because you realize that he's in control of all things and that you can really bow down to a great and good God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Give him another hand of praise. He's worthy. Glory to God. Our children are dismissed to Kids Dome, so our children are dismissed at this moment. And if you would, as the children are leaving, um, if you would open your Bibles to the Gospel of John. Yes, we are back here. Amen. Gospel of John, Chapter 17. I know we went through it all last year. You thought I'd never go back to the book, but that is not true. It's in the Bible. Amen. It's got some good stuff in there. I know you don't remember everything, but I promise you I won't be preaching the same message I preached last year, okay? Amen. Hopefully not. Amen. Glory to God. John chapter 17. And we'll begin reading in verse 1. Praise the name of Jesus. Gospel of John chapter 17, verse 1. When you got it, say so. So. And it says, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, The hour has come glorify your son that your son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him and this is eternal life. Now listen to this that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory with which I had with you before, say before, before, the world was. Lord, we thank you so much for this truth that is in your word, Lord. We thank you for the privilege of worship and just the opportunity that we have to give you praise, to give you glory And God, to be able to come before your beautiful and wonderful presence, we are so, so very grateful, God. And I just pray this morning, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church. I pray that you would be glorified in us, Lord. And I ask that you would use me in these next few moments to speak to my brothers and sisters. And I ask that all of us, including myself, that we would not just be idle hearers of your word, receiving information, but, God, that we would be active participants, respondents to your word in faith. Lord, bring glory to your name. Through us, and we pray this all in Jesus' good name. Everyone said, You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, please, please, please raise your hand. I want to make sure that you get one so you can follow along with me as I go through the introduction of the sermon. And you can also take some notes. There's a couple of good questions in there for you. You know, for example, um, what did you believe that the Lord spoke to you today? I think that's a good question to ask, right? When we hear God's word, should we should consider how is God speaking to me specifically? And then there is another good question. How will you respond to God by faith this week? And you will notice that every week when I pray, it's not to be redundant. It is just to keep before you always the reality. I ask God to help us to be respondents to his word because I don't want I want us to just be people that hear God's word but I want us to be people that respond to God amen people who live for the glory and honor of Jesus and so we are here in the Gospel of John and last week we left off in the book of Acts where Paul was speaking to the Athenians and as he was speaking to them he was talking to them from the topic of the unknown God now if he would if you were to give a title to Paul's sermon it would have been you know to the unknown God or something like that who he was making known unto the people of Athens and so we didn't finish the complete sermon there and I will not finish it today either just because we're going to move on but I will you know and I'll give you the couple of points in a moment here that you know we're in that sermon as we look at the truth of God's word but today as we look at this particular account and I want you to know we got a lot of ground to cover say a lot of ground ground. all right I didn't give Anna any time today so I have all the time amen 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 I love Anna man is she here is she is she, is she out there she's out she, she's out there she didn't even give get, get to hear my joke anyway um nothing oh you're right there I know because you listen you normally sit in the back That's see even Martha thought you were back the glory to God see but anyway I didn't give her any time today so I'm gonna take all the time glory to God and um because we got a lot we, we have a lot of ground to cover remember we're going through this series it's the four core series and so the first part is loving God right and we're dealing with the object of our affection and so we're talking about who God is today that's what we want to that's what we want to deal with. We told we started last week dealing with who God was, but we want to continue on this week dealing with who God is. And as I looked at this prayer of Jesus and, and verse 3 there that I asked you to repeat or, or to pay attention to, and it was this in verse 3 it says, And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so just a couple of things that I want to point out really quickly on this verse. I dealt with this last year when we went through this, but the one thing that is so very important for us is to realize is that eternal life doesn't begin the moment that we die. Eternal life begins the moment that we submit to Christ eternal life our life is changed god fills us with life and so if you're in here today and you haven't made a commitment to jesus christ god wants to give you real life see up until this point because you haven't been walking with him if you don't know him you have yet to experience the eternal life that god wants to give us and here's what i want you to get eternal life is not a feeling it's a revelation of a person and a relationship with god almighty are you getting that It's not just something that you feel. It's something that you experience for sure, but it's something that God wants us to walk in. And so eternal life is knowing someone. It's knowing who God the Father is. It's knowing who the one true God is. It's knowing who the object of of our affection is. And so... That's a big deal for us to realize, right? And so God wants to give us this. So as, you, as you're looking at your outline here, I want to introduce you to a guy, and it's the quote that you have down there in the top. So before you read the quote, I just want to tell you who made this quote. And his name is Blaise Pascal. He lived um, 1623 to 1662. Now, I want you to, the reason why I want to introduce you to him is because I want you to hear how smart, how intelligent this guy was. At the age of 14, Pascal was invited to join a weekly gathering of the leading um, geometricians from paris by the age 16 he had written a groundbreaking book on geometry that some critics rejected believing it was far too complicated to have been conceived by someone of his young age at the age of 19 pascal invented the first calculator it's pretty smart don't you think how many about 19 years old were inventing stuff like that I'm just saying, I I ain't going to tell you what I was doing at 19, but actually, actually, I can't tell you. I was a Christian. I was seeking Jesus, right? Amen. I'm just, I I got saved right before I turned 18, so I was okay. But nonetheless, some of you at 19 were not doing that. But all all that being said, at the age of 19, he created the first calculator. And the reason why it was an effort to assist his father with complex mathematics. He He made some 50 such machines, which became the distant cousins of the modern computer. At the age of 31, Pascal invented the probability theory in response to questions his friends posed to him regarding gambling. He also clarified theories on pressure and vacuum, studied hydraulic fluids, created the first hydraulic press, and invented the syringe. Additionally, he created the first public transportation system, which was a bus line built for the poor, for the poor residents of Paris. His scientific legacy is so profound that today an SI unit of pressure as well as a computer program are named in the honor of Pascal. Tragically, Pascal was sick throughout his life and died in Paris on August 19th in 1662, two months after his 39th birthday. He never did get to write his crowning book, Pensis, or Thoughts. And it is simply a compilation of the various thoughts he had scattered on scraps of paper. Amazingly, his unfinished thoughts alone were so profound that they remain a best-selling book over 300 years later. With his death imminent, Blas Pascal gave his home to a poor family suffering with smallpox. Fittingly, Pascal's final words from his deathbed were, May God never abandon me. I want you to think about how smart this guy was, right? Because a lot of times we think about God and smart people like those two things don't go together, right? But this guy was probably more intelligent, and not to insult anyone in here, I I would say he's probably much more intelligent than I, and probably more intelligent than most of us in this room. And this guy understood that there was a God that was beyond himself. There was someone who gave him the wit that he had. There was someone who gave him the wisdom that he had, and so. Pascal's now famous concept of the wager is described in Pensus. Now, remember, they asked, him, you know, he answered his friends about gambling and the probability theory. And so this is what goes, and this is what's in your outline, so you can read this with me. This is a quote from him. Either God is or he is not. But to which views shall we be inclined? Reason cannot decide this question. Infinite chaos separates us. At the far end of this infinite distance, a coin is being spun, which will come down heads or tails how will you wager reason cannot make you choose either reason cannot prove it cannot prove either wrong yes but you must wager there is no choice you are already committed now i want you to pause for a moment this guy is saying when you're thinking about the existence of god when you're making a decision about god you are literally making a wager and so here's the deal if you're in here today and you know jesus i'm going to tell you you made the best bet ever hello If you're in here today and you're not walking with Jesus, I'm going to tell you, you're making the wrong wager. Anyway, we'll continue on. He says, let us weigh up the the gain and the loss involved in calling heads that God exists. Let us assess the two cases. If you win, you win everything. If you lose, you lose nothing. Do not hesitate then, wager that he does exist. Amen? Amen. And so it's important for us to, to, to understand from so even such an intelligent person. And I share that because we live in a culture today where a lot of people will tell you, you know, smart people, they don't believe in God. You know, people that are intelligent, they don't believe in God. And so the reality is that is not true. That is far from the truth. So if the second paragraph here in your outline, as we learned last week, the Apostle Paul contended in Athens for the existence of one, of one true God who is the creator, sustainer, ruler, and merciful judge over all. If we believe this to to be true, we must make a definite response to God and commit to sharing the truth with those who need it and are without God. So those are the two points that I was going to make last week at the end. One of them is that if we believe that God is, we cannot remain neutral on that belief. But we need to make a definite decision that I am either going to what? Reject him or I'm going to accept him. I'm either going to walk with him or I'm not going to walk with him. There's a choice that needs to be made. And for those of us that make a choice to walk with God, then here's what we saw the Apostle Paul doing last week is he began to do what? He began to share he was moved with compassion for those people who were lost those people who were blind he wasn't there you know trying to argue just for argument's sake but the reality was that he saw people who were hurting and can I tell you something we live in a day and age that no matter how much people reject God you want to know what they're just hurting No matter how much they try to deny God's reality, no matter how much they try to reject the truth of God, there is some void in their life. And what I want you to know and be encouraged in is the reality that you and I have that hope that is within us, and that is Christ Jesus. And he wants us to share the truth, the goodness of who God is with those people who desperately need him. And so the last paragraph in your outline here, today we will look closer at the person, character, and attributes of God revealing unto us in the, revealed unto us in the scriptures upon which we can firmly stand in faith against the wiles of the enemy. I said this last week, the most important question for you and I to ask and answer is who is God? The most important question is that because it affects every area of our lives, and not only does it affect every area of our life, but it, but it affects every decision that we make. The things that we do are dependent upon who our God is. There are some people who believe that their God would want them to kill people in his name, and so they go around, they blow themselves up, they blow other people up, they go and they plan terrorist attacks and things like that, and you know why? It goes back to one question. Who is God? Who is God? And for us as believers, it becomes the same thing. Who is our God and who is it that we stand for? Who is it that we stand under? Whose power, whose truth do we believe? And it all depends on that one question, who God is. And so the first thing I'll ask you to repeat is this. Say, God is graciously relatable because he is one God, three persons, that may sound a little confused, but I'll say it again. God is graciously relatable because he is one God in three persons. So I told you we're going to talk about the person of God. When we talk about the person of God, we cannot leave out this one thing that God is three in one. Say God is three in one. Now, I want you to know that I don't plan to try to convince anyone of anything. And I don't plan to have this, this, this locked up in my mind because this is one of the most difficult truths that we'll understand about God. And I want you to know there's only one third of the message. Hello, somebody. I told you we got a lot of ground to cover. So here's the thing. There have been plenty of people who have tried to define who God is. Some people have said he is a she, you know, Mother Earth and stuff like that. Some have said God is many gods, you know. You look at um, Greek mythology, a polytheism says that. Some have said that there is one God, monotheism, so Islam would say that. Some have said God is everything, that is pantheism. Some have said all is in God, that is panantheism. Some have said God is, now listen to this, but he is limited, not sovereign, not all-knowing, not all-powerful. That's called finite Godism. Now here's what I want you to get. The reason why I pause on this one is because there's many people in the church today who believe that God is, he's just not sovereign. They believe God is, but he's really not in control. They believe God is. He's just really not all-knowing. There's people in the church that believe that. There's, there's, um, I go to a Key Life Bible study. For all of you men, I just want to throw this out there. This Tuesday, you're invited to come to a breakfast. It's at 7 o'clock in the morning at Canterbury Retreat Center, and you come and learn what Key Life Men is all about. But here's the thing. At Key life men, we're there to try to reach men that have not yet been reached with the gospel, and so there's like 18 different churches that are represented in this Bible study that we have together. Um, there's about between 80 and 100 guys that are showing up right now in the in, in the beginning of this year, and so it's a really great time. And I'm a table leader, and so as a table leader, I run the conversation after the the, the teaching. And so as we were sitting down and we were discussing God, um, Dr. Pete Allinson, he's going through um, one of the one of the um, one of the creeds of the church, the Apostles' Creed, which is one of the oldest creeds of the church. which tells us what we believe we actually sing a song called the creed you know i believe you know i believe in god the father all that stuff well that's the creed anyway i won't sing the whole thing but um that's that that's the creed so he's going through that and so he's going through one part and we talk about you know predestination at some moment and here's the thing i don't know what your position is on on predestination i'm not going to get in that because that'll take us way off topic but here's what i want you to understand the word predestined is in your bible hello somebody are you here You can't deny that, right? Last week we talked about that, right? That God determines place and times. Well, there's a guy that's sitting at the table next to me, and he says it like this. He's like, you know, he said it just like this. He said, hey, I know you guys might not be happy that I came this morning, but I want you to know that I do not believe that anything is predestined. I was like, okay. (laughs) And I just finished preaching Acts chapter 17. I'm like, well, listen, man, I just want to let you know that I can understand you're saying you don't believe this or that is predestined, but I want you to know the fact that you are here right now, that is a predestined thing. Hello. The fact that you were born in these days, that's a predestined thing. I don't care what any, anything else you want to believe, but I can tell you this. That is something that you didn't choose. You didn't choose when you were going to be born. You didn't choose to which family you were going to be born into. You didn't choose what hospital, what state. Who chose that? Hello, somebody. Uh-huh, glory to God. I know some people thought they were going to be born so, well, no, Nobody thought anything, but some people thought their children were going to be born in one place. And guess what? They were born somewhere else is what it is, right? So the reality is we have some people who believe that about God. There's other people, they, so they believe in the, the finite Godism, and there's some have said that God is, but he's no longer involved. That's called deism. I want you to know that the church is filled with people like that as well. They think that God created everything, and then he, and he established laws, like the law of sowing and reaping, the laws of gravity, like those laws. He set those things in motion, and then he went and took a lemonade for the rest of eternity. That's what they believe. They don't, he's not involved, but he is. So, so when they say they believe in God, right, God, God is, he's hanging out, but he's looking at you, and he, he's not involved in your life. He doesn't care about you. It's terrible, but it is a truth that there are some people that believe that. Some have said God is not. That's atheism. Some have said God cannot be known. That's agnosticism. And then there is the Bible which declares that God is three persons in one God. That's called Trinitarianism. And so what I want you to get today is that as, as I said last week, I shared this last week, you might have missed it. I said God can be truly known but not fully known this side of eternity. So what I want you to know is that through the scriptures, we talked about the general revelation of God, through creation itself, God can be seen, right? And and you can be pointed to him and know that he is because someone had to create the things that we see. But when you come to knowing God truly, you can know him through the scriptures and through the word of God. You get to know the character, the person, you know, we get to know the attributes of who God is, which we'll look at today. But you will not fully know God because if you can fully know God, I often share this with people, you know, especially at, at the table that day I told you about the predestination conversation where there was one guy who was who was you know contending predestination in a big way another guy saying it was not there and all I told them both I said you're both right and you're both wrong hello you're both correct and then because you both reject the other one's idea you're both incorrect you there, there, there's God is bigger than our little ideas are you here he's bigger than our than, than our systems of theology. He's bigger than all of that stuff, and he wants to be. He wants us to stand in awe of him. The reason, can I tell you something? The big idea for this whole series, you know, loving God and the object of our affection, is the hope not to bore you or just to tell you again some things that you already know, but my hope is that as you sit here, that you'll be reminded of the magnitude and the majesty and the wonder of who the God of the Bible declares, and that that will inspire deeper worship of who he is, because as I sit down and I look at these attributes and I look at these characteristics, I stand in awe. When I look at the Trinity in and of itself, I stand in awe because do you think that I fully understand it? Hello. This is one of the most difficult doctrines to try to be, the most complex doctrines or truths that is there to try to explain to people. And you want to know why? Let me explain to you why. It is because it, uh, it is beyond our capacity to understand it for there is nothing in creation that we can compare it to. We don't know anything that is like this trinity that we see in the scriptures. There's nothing, you know, people have, and listen, I've been in Bible classes where people have tried to explain it, you know, like water. You know, it can be ice, it can be vapor, it can be water, but, or liquid, but it can't be all three at the same time. Hello? Are you here? So that's close, but that don't make it, Right? You know, we talk about fruit, you know, and, and, and all that. Listen to me. There is nothing that we can really compare to what it means that God is three in one. But can I tell you something? The Bible is not is not ashamed or afraid to communicate that all the way throughout the Scriptures. The Bible doesn't doesn't waver. It doesn't shy away from those things that we see throughout the scriptures. And so a few things that I want you to get if you're taking notes, this might be helpful for you when you get into some kind of conversation. First of all, the word Trinity is not found in your Bible. Are you here? If you ever have a conversation with I believe a Jehovah's Witness, they're going to tell you the word Trinity is not found in the Bible and they are correct. Don't go searching it. Hello. They're right. It's not there. But here's but here's what I want you to get: the the one in three concept is seen both in the Old Testament. Now hear me and the New Testament. Then another fact is that the word Trinity was first used by the father, by, by, by the church father Tertullian, who lived between AD 155 and 220 to describe the triune God, because there was not a word that could describe God in his fullness and his, per, his person. He couldn't describe it, so he used that word to explain who God was. And the last one, when we, when we talk about the word Trinity, I'm going to give you two definitions, and I don't expect you to write these down. Like I said last week, you know, I, I got to talk quick so I can get through all of this stuff, but I can send you these, Amen. I can send you my outline and you can sit down and you can look over it. But the Westminster Confession of Faith, dealing with the, 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 the doctrine of the Trinity, it says, In the unity of the Godhead, there, there be three persons of one substance, power, and eternity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Another definition is this, the Trinity is one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, who are each fully and equally God in eternal relation with each other, okay? Those are the two definitions that we have here, but here's what I want you to get, right? And this is this is important for you, Genesis 1, 1. What do we see in Genesis 1-1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was what? It was without form and void, and darkness filled the face of the deep, and there was someone else there. The Spirit of the Lord hovered about the waters, right? And then I think the next verse says, and then God said, right? Right? Now, I want you to notice something. Now, here, here's what we see clearly. First of all, we see God the Father who is there, right? In the beginning, God, pointing to God the Father. And then we see the Spirit of the Lord hovering about the waters. But can I tell you where Jesus is? Jesus is the Word, and so when God spoke, that's where you see Jesus in, the, in, in there. Now, how do we know this? Well, we have, the, we have the privilege that other people did not to look forward to the, to the Gospel of John or to look at Paul when he talks about what? Saying that nothing was created except was created by who? Jesus and so we know that he is the word, right? And so what we realize is that we see in the Old Testament, we see examples of this. But let's look, look, look a little bit further. We're not turning there. But if you look at um, Genesis, you write this down, 126, God says what? He says this. He's speaking to He's having a conversation. There is nobody else there, right, at this moment, right? It's just, I mean, obviously the angel's around somewhere. But here's the thing. He's having a conversation. And he says this. He says, let us create man in our image and our likeness. Who is us? So, singular God, one God, three persons, right? He's having a conversation. Here's what I want you to get God did not create us because he was lonely. Are you here? A lot of people want to say that. God created you because he was lonely. No, he was not lonely. God has never been lonely. How can he? God doesn't have a need that we can meet. Are you here? That's the God that we serve, and so we find that there. Now, let me give you a couple of other references. You can see in the Old Testament where God refers to himself in the plural. In Genesis 3.22, it says, man has become like us. In Genesis 11.7, it says, you know, again, and, we, and God goes down, right, and he goes down there to do what? To confuse them because man is, gonna, is trying to build this tower of Babel. And then again, in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8, God says, whom shall we send, right? And so he uses those terms in the Old Testament. So the Old Testament doesn't shy away. And then in the New Testament, we see the Trinity. Now listen to this. We see the Trinity at the conception of Jesus. You can write it down. Luke chapter 1 and verse 35. Luke chapter 1 and verse 35 is the birth narrative, right? Talks about God, talks about the Holy Spirit coming upon her, right? She's highly favored from who? From God the Father. The Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon Mary. She is going to conceive who? God the Son in her womb. So we see what? We see Father, Son, Holy Spirit again. You look forward to Jesus' life, and I want you to see this at Jesus' baptism. What do you see? You see Jesus being baptized, you hear the Father speaking from heaven, and you see the Holy Spirit coming upon him as what? As the dove. So we see the Trinity in action. And then the last thing, when Jesus commissions his disciples in Matthew 28 and verse 19, he tells us to do what? To baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so here's what we understand about the Trinity. Lastly, I want you to get the Father, Son, and Spirit are revealed in the scriptures as each thinking, acting, feeling, speaking, and relating, revealing to us God's personality that never contradicts itself. What I want you to know is that there is never a time, never has been a time, never will be a time where there's an argument among the Godhead. It's not like God the Father says, hey, I have a really good plan today. And then the son is like, yeah, dad, I don't know if that's going to work. And the Holy Spirit's like, that's definitely not going to work, guys. I got the idea that never happens in the godhead right there's never disagreement in the godhead why does it why, why does it why does this even matter to us i want you to get this okay because here's here's what we see in the cosmic relationship between god the father god the son god the holy spirit we see perfect unity we see perfect love we see perfect communication we see a perfection in relationship and the way that it should affect our lives because again i don't want you to just hear god is all of these things how are you supposed to apply this Trinitarian mindset to your life well you and I should be striving to have relationships that reflect that kind of unity that kind of love that kind of commitment that kind of oneness so my marriage husbands and wives you should be striving to walk in unity the same way that you see the father Son and Holy Spirit are walking together in unity in your homes fathers and sons mothers and daughters children and parents you should be striving to to walk in relationship with one another the way that we see. That's the reason why God exemplifies this, so that way we can look at the picture and say we should be reflecting that. That's what it means to be image bearers. Are you here? You see, so when I look at this trinity, it's not just some knowledge that I get that's supposed to blow my mind, but it's something I should say, man, if God walks in unity to that level, I should be striving to walking in in unity in that level. Amen? The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, God is completely trustworthy because of his character. God is completely trustworthy because of his character the names of God reveal unto us the character of God. And so for some of you that are on the prayer calls with me in the morning, you will hear at 430, I always, always, and I will do it until the Holy Ghost leads me differently. I always go through the names of God in our prayer time. As I, as I worship God, as I adore God, I do this because of what? Because I want to bring glory to him. I want to get my mind off of, I want to get my mind off of every single thing that is going on in my life up until that moment, because I don't know about you, but it's, it's not like when I, when I, you know, go to sleep, I turn everything off, and then I wake up, and it's like things take a while to turn on. Listen, the moment I wake up, stuff is on my mind. And what happens is, no matter what, when I, when I go into my prayer time, you know, I was, I, I, was, I was in a scripture chat, and, you know, some of the guys were talking, you know, was, was, were asking a question. They're going through Oswald Chambers, my highest, what is it, my highest four? my utmost for his highest, and um, they're going through that right now, and so, you know, one of the guys, he posts that, the, you know, the, the, um, the, squo- the, the quotes from that day, and so, um, or the devotional from that day, and so one of, the, one of the devotions was talking about getting quiet before God, and he was like, man, you know, do you guys struggle to get quiet before the Lord, and I'm like, yeah, man, <laughs> I struggle to get quiet before the Lord, and I'm like, well, what I do is I, you know, turn on some worship so I can get my mind out of my mind, hello, I'm just saying, I don't know, I sound crazy, but the reality is I, I, I need to get my mind focused in on him because all of the things in my day start to pile up on my plate, right? All of the things that I'm dealing with, the emotional stuff I'm going through, the struggles that I'm facing, the battles I know that I'm going to, all of that stuff will try to flood my mind. You know what it'll get me to do? It'll get me to forget about God and I, I just want to start running and gunning, but wait a second. I need to take a moment, and when I sit back and I begin to reflect on the names of God, then I'm reminded, hold on a second, my God is a sovereign God, like we sang this morning, right? I'm reminded my God is in control. See, if I have financial issues and I'm reminded of Jehovah Jireh, you know what that does? That makes me realize, hold on a second, my God is a faithful provider. I need to trust him with my life, right? And so when we look at the names of God, it gives us the understanding. In the the Bible times, and nowadays, you know, we want cute names, right? The other day, a friend of mine, you know, he posted on Facebook, and he was like, you know, what do you guys suggest as a middle name? His son had, a, you know, a first name, and I said, well, Jason, for sure. I mean, hello, I've, there's no other choice. But, you know, ultimately, you know, I'm joking. I mean, I, I, would, I, know he, I know he knows I was kidding. But the fact of the matter is, you know, we don't think in terms, many of us, not all of us, some of us may have thought this way. But, you know, most of us don't think in terms the way that the Hebrew people thought about naming their children. If you remember John the Baptist, you remember when he was going to be named? And you remember how there was a big issue because Mary was like, his name shall be John? And then when that, when that happened, they were like, no, there's nobody in your family that's been named that. And so they needed to get, you know, the confirmation from Zacharias because it was so important what the name was, right? And so what we find here is we find that this is naming someone had to do with their character, had to do with their identity, had to do with their destiny, right? Remember remember, remember this guy by the name of Benjamin? he was like the 12th son, right, of, of Isaac. <clears throat> Remember him? Remember when he was first born, you know what his name was, right? His name was Benoni, right? Because his mom was dying as she was giving birth to him. And so she didn't, she didn't have very fond thoughts of this guy, right? I'm just saying, I, I, I saw my wife give birth. That's a painful. Ladies, I love you, and I'm sorry. But it was not my fault, man. It was it's Eve. Y'all can, you know, y'all can beat her up when you get to heaven and just repent. I don't know. Just kidding. You may not think about that, but you can have a conversation with her for sure, right? And be like, Eve, what was wrong with you? But anyway, um, you know, and then you can, and guys, we can talk to Adam and be like, bro, Why? Why did you not, you know, protect your wife? Hello, somebody, right? Anyway, we're going to have some conversations, maybe. We're going to be so overwhelmed by the glory of God, all that's not going to matter. But today, you know, today's age, right? So this woman's giving birth, and as she's giving birth, she's dying. So she's in excruciating pain, and she goes and yells out, Benoni, right? Which is a, a bad name. I don't remember what it is, but you know what it means. But what I do know is Benjamin meant son of the right hand. And what his father did was came in and said, I'm not going to let my son be cursed with this name and carry this over him, right? Jabez, right? He prayed a prayer. He was like, you know, bless me and stuff because of what his name meant. So he was asking God to turn some things around. So here's the thing. What we realize about God is that when God is in the scriptures revealing who he is, right? When God is in the scriptures revealing his names to us, he's trying to show us his character. He's trying to show us his person, uh, 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 his power, his purposes, and his will. So by his name alone, we can know who our God is, right? So one of the names of God that we're all familiar with is that of Yahweh or Jehovah, meaning he's the self-existing one. He's the great I am. We know the other one is Elohim. That means the strong one, right? Again, it's it's demonstrating his sovereignty, his strength. Adonai, which means the Lord or the master. The ones, I want to give you these right here, um, the ones that start with L, L meaning God, right the first one that I'll give you is El Elyon that is God most high the exalted one I love this the strongest strong one I love that He is El Elyon. He is El. So, you know, when you're going, see, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me apply this for you. When you're going through stuff, I'm not asking you like at that moment, like you may be going through something that's really hard and someone may like hit you, you know, and not literally, but hit you in the face with something that like knocks the wind out of you and you get like overwhelmed by it. Right. What I encourage you to do is when you walk away from that situation, if you got to go get in your car, I encourage you to probably do it somewhere alone, but you need to like be reminded, like, you know, remind yourself. Yourself, God, you are El Elyon. You are the strongest, strong one. And I know that this situation is meant to knock me down. I know that this situation is meant to hinder me from moving forward, but my trust is not in this situation. My trust is in the the who? The, the one who is seated upon a throne. The highest one. The one who is in authority over all things. See, that's what worship does, right? And then all of a sudden, I'm not overwhelmed. It's not to say your problem went away, but you know what happens? This is what the Bible says. The Bible says to magnify the lord so what does that mean that means make god bigger in your own eye you can't make him any bigger than he already is but you can make him bigger in your perspective hello i gave you the example if you take a quarter you can do it maybe not today because the sun is not out but the next time the sun is out you take a quarter and you get that quarter and you put it in front of one of your eyes and you start to move it closer and closer to your eye and it'll get to a point where that quarter will block out the sun can i ask you a question what is bigger the quarter or the sun The sun is bigger, but you know what happened? You blocked it out by bringing something so close into perspective rather than moving it away and allowing your perspective of the sun to remain what it's supposed to be. And it's the same thing with our relationship with God. And so he reveals himself as El Elyon. He reveals himself as El Roi, the strong one who sees everything. He reveals himself as El Shaddai, God Almighty, which points to his gracious power. He reveals himself as El Olam, the everlasting God, the unchanging God. And then you have the other names that you hear sometimes, like Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord, my provider. You have Jehovah Nissi, which means the Lord, my banner. You have Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord, my peace. You have Jehovah. Jehovah Seboeth, which means the Lord of hosts or the God who governs the angels and the armies of heaven. You have Jehovah Mekadeshim, which means the Lord, your sanctifier, the one who sets you apart. You have Jehovah Roi, the Lord, my shepherd. So he's the one who guides you. He's the one that keeps you and protects you. You have Jehovah Sidcanu, which is the Lord, our righteousness. You have Jehovah El, I can't even pronounce this one, Gamola or something like that. And it means the Lord. I just learned this one. And it means the Lord of recompense. And then you have Jehovah not Nak- which is the lord who smites you know you have an almighty god hello Amen. you have a god that the enemies of the lord are not going to just stand before him right like you have an all these are the these are the names of god and then the last one is jehovah shama the lord who is present the lord who is there and so all of these names and again i went through those rather quick i don't i don't have the time to expound on each and every one of them but what these reveal to us is they all reveal god's character and what they show us is that God is trustworthy. And in the New Testament, see, those are the names in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there is one main name that God has revealed through, and that is what? Yeshua. Jesus, right? And so what does that name mean? That means that that, that is talking to us about the God who saves The God who delivers, the God who sets free. You know what Jesus' name shows us? Jesus' name shows us about God that he wants to save, that he wants to deliver, that he wants to intervene in the situations of our life. Are you hearing me? You know, there are a lot of people that say, oh, you know, I don't want to come to God because I have problems. Hold on a second. That's the first thing you should do when you have problems is come to God. The problem is don't leave him when he fixes them. Hello now. See, the issue is not coming to him about fixing an issue. The problem is once he fixes it, you're deciding, all right, I got what I needed, now I'm out. Seen it plenty of times. I know that you've seen it. But the reality is that shouldn't be a reason why someone has to turn away from or not come to God because God is a savior. So God shows us his will. He shows us his power by the revelation of his names. And above all, in Christ, we know that God desires to show mercy and will do so unto all who will believe on Jesus as God the Son, the only savior of mankind. We realize here in the scriptures clearly, clearly. That God wants to save. That God wants to deliver. And God shows us, listen, I want to be in your life. And the fact is, I came to die in your place. That's what Jesus communicates. I came to give my life to show you that this is not deism. I didn't create everything and just check out. But I am actively involved and I want to bring salvation. I want to bring deliverance to your life. Amen? Amen. The third thing, and this is our last point that we'll deal with here, is that, say this with me, say, "God God alone is truly awesome. Because of his attributes. Listen, I put in there truly awesome because we water down that word. I shared this before. You know, we call ice cream awesome. I don't think ice cream is in the same category with God. What about you? Right? Oh, that restaurant is awesome. That, you know, whatever, you, whatever it is that you've said is awesome, right? What you have done is you have reduced the word that only God should receive, right? Only God should receive that accolade as being awesome. It should only be him. And so I put truly awesome because, you know, you're going to still say stuff is awesome. And I'm not telling you not to say that. That's not what I'm trying to tell you. What I'm trying to tell you is that you should utilize that word, you know, with care. With concern and be like, man, God really is awesome, and so He shows us His attributes, right? So, as we consider the attributes of God revealed to us in the Scripture, we have two categories that are shared, right? The communicable ones, which He, you know, which He shares with us, or those which are unshared or incommunicable, right? This is important to us for an application from an application standpoint because we are responsible to grow in and develop those shared attributes as they are the image of God that we possess. So here's the thing, two categories that we have when we deal with God's attributes, right? So one of them is that God is omniscient. I know some of us thought our moms were omniscient. <laughs> like, how did you know? <laughs> but here's the reality. The reality is there is only one that is omniscient and that is God Almighty, All right? I know that some of you want to be omniscient, but it'll, it'll never happen. I don't care how much you pray, I don't care how much you seek the Lord, you will never be granted the omniscience that God has. He may give you some of his knowledge, he may give you some of his revelation, but you're not going to be all, you know, knowing everything. Hello. I know, I know some of us think we know all things. Hello. God is omnipotent, right? That means he is all powerful. None of us are all powerful, right? You may have power, but you don't have all power. Hello. Hello. God alone, this is one of his unshared attributes. God is omnipresent, meaning he is everywhere at all times. I know a lot of us want to be in a lot of places. We want to be all of, we don't want to miss anything. Hello. We have to pick and choose what we're going to be part of because of what? Because we are not omnipresent like God is. God is immutable. Say immutable. See this one, I love this one because God is the only being. Hear me when I say this, that is immutable, unchanging. He is the only one that doesn't change. You know, um, Sister Vanessa, we on Saturday, you know, we got together and um, she, you know, she she and I have a good relationship, okay? So just know that this is all in jest and this is all in love. I bust her chops. She busts my chops. I've known her since she was a little girl. So anyway, it's like, you know, my older, younger daughter. But anyway, so here's the thing. So, you know, she comes into, Saturday, yesterday, we had to be in here like all day long, and I was in a good mood, like an extra special good mood, I was smiling, y'all know I don't smile a lot, right? I'm in a bad mood, I just don't do that, but I mean, I smile, but not often, I'm not like Mr. Smiles, but, um, you know, nonetheless, you know, she comes in, and I'm, you know, giggling, laughing, and she's like, you know, I wasn't really giggling, that's a little bit too much, but, um, but I was laughing, you know, I was, you know, having a good time, and she was like, man, you're in such a good mood, she's like, can he come back tomorrow? I'm like, all right. All right, glory to God. Like, yeah, he's going to come back. All right, amen, amen. So, you know, ultimately what I'm saying is I am not immutable. Hello, somebody, right? Um, there's moments that I'm, you know, real happy and, you know, and I'm excited. And, you know, there's moments that I'm like, man, I'm hitting it. But there's other moments, not so much. But can I tell you something? God never changes. James says that there is no shadow of turning within him. All right, he never changes. He is always the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, according to Hebrews, right, dealing with Jesus. God never, t- that's a beautiful thing to know because, can I tell you this? No matter what you do, God doesn't change. Did you hear that's, that? That should just give you some joy in your soul. No matter what you do, God does not change. Now, does that mean that God doesn't discipline? No, that doesn't mean that he doesn't, he disciplines, hello. That doesn't mean he changed, though. He disciplines because what? Because he loves us. Because he is love, right? We'll talk about that. That's one of his shared attributes, actually. But the truth of the matter is God is immutable. He does not change. Situations change. God didn't change. Circumstances change. God didn't change. God remains the same. And that's something that we can rejoice in because there's never a moment. You know, my daughter, you know, sometimes because I am not immutable. Hello. Hello. There are moments that my daughter will give me a look like, okay, is it okay to come talk to you right now? Because I might have been in a bad mood, you know, something may have happened, right? I know y'all think that that's never possible, but I do my best to bust your bubble like every Sunday. I just want you to know that, man, you are not looking at a perfect guy here. But you know what? You never have to say, is it cool if I come talk to you, God? You never have to tiptoe into his presence and be like, God, do you want to hear from me today? You never have to be like, man, you know, God, are you tired? Of, God is not tired of hearing you cry the same thing over and over. So everybody else might be. <laughs> He's not. You know how it is. You know, listen, listen. There's two categories here. You're the one that's either ducking people or the one being ducked. Hello. <laughs> You know how it is. You get that person that they come around you and they just be like, and you and you seem like, oh glory to God, I didn't see him. You like, you do everything you can not to make eye contact. You try to walk quick. I got, I got to go. God bless you. You know, you're like, you know, just terrible anyway, right? But it happens. I'm just, we're being real, right? And then sometimes you're that person, and you don't listen. You, you may not even know it because they've been ducking you so well, but you may be that person that people are just like, yeah, I can't, I can't talk to them right now. But you know what? God is never ducking you. He is never, ever ducking. That's a beautiful thing. God is eternal. He he, he has no beginning. Listen, God is the only being that is eternal. He is the only being that, see, we will live for eternity, but we are not eternal like him. Are you hearing me? Hello? Need to get our doctrine right, right? Get our understanding right. We're not eternal. We didn't didn't exist before. Mm -hmm. In his thoughts, for sure, there's a difference between existing. God existed. He He is the existing one. No beginning, no end. That makes him what? Eternal. He is not just eternal, he is self-existent. Meaning that he is he is the one that doesn't depend. I said this earlier, right? He does not need anything that we have. There is no need in God. God supplies every one of his own needs. Hello? He is self-sufficient. He is self-existent. He is trans—or I'm sorry. He is sovereign over his creation. Meaning that again, we sang about this. We, you know, we we sang that in, and and I love, you know, that Rolando was like, you know, ch- just let the church sing it because a lot of times we can get lost in other people's song, but we need to get caught up in our own worship. Sometimes we need to get caught up in the declaration that we're making. It's not about what somebody else declares for us. It's about what we come to know because of the worship, because of the adoration. Because of the revelation of who God is and what he brings into our lives. And so we understand that he's a sovereign God, that he is in control of all things. And while we we may not like it, listen, while we may not understand it, it is a truth that is found in the scriptures. And there's a lot of people that are in the church, pastors in the church, that you go ask them what they believe about God's sovereignty. And they do not believe that God is sovereign. They do not believe that God is in control of all things. They don't believe, and that's a sad thing, because if God is not in control of all things, and listen, we have no reason to be secure at anything. God is transcendent. He's above all of his creation. Although he's involved, he's, he's beyond anything within his creation. He is the creator of all things. So those are his unshared attributes. Those are, those are his, his incommunicable attributes. But then his shared attributes, God is spirit. Don't we have a spirit? God is spirit. And so what should we do? Should we grow in our spirit? Yes, we should be growing in our spiritual lives. We should be growing in our relationship to God and our relationship with God's word, right? God is spirit. God is holy. Hello, somebody. He is holy. He is separate. He is different than anything that we will ever know. And so we, you and I, should be also growing in what? Holiness. The same way that our God is holy, what is Well, what, 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 it says it in Leviticus, and then Peter says it as well. Be ye holy as I am holy. And so God calls us to live holy lives. God is love, right? And so what does that mean? That means that God is love. He's the essence of love. And you and I, he shares that attribute with us. And we should be growing in love one for the other. God is true, right? He's true. He's truth. And so what should we be growing in? We should be growing in the truth of the scriptures. God is a just and righteous God, and so should we be growing in our righteousness, in our justice, in our thoughts t- towards others? God is merciful toward all of his creation. We talked about that last week, right? He doesn't have to give anyone mercy, but he chooses to. And then the last one is this, and when I say the last one, there's probably many more, but the last one is that God is beautiful. Say he's beautiful. beautiful. He's beautiful. And can I tell you something? You're beautiful. Thank you. Amen. My wife is the most beautiful, but the rest of you are beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Every husband will disagree with me, and that's okay. You're wrong. But nonetheless, my wife is the most beautiful. She's not the most high, right? There's only one most high, but above, under Jesus, she's the most beautiful, in my eyes anyway. Amen? Yeah. So here's the reality. God is beautiful. Look at his creation. It's beautiful, right? I mean, we don't, we, we don't, we don't sit down and, you know, and listen, I'm not, I'm not a tree hugger, Okay. In other words, you know, I don't walk around worshiping nature and, you know, bowing before trees. And I don't do all that kind of stuff. No one in here should do that. Hello. Right? Like that's worship of, you know, she, you know, the mother earth instead of God Almighty. But you should appreciate creation. You should look at creation and recognize the beauty and the majesty and the wonder of God. There should be moments that, you know, your breath is taken away because a sunset caught your attention. There should be moments that you see something like a, a plant or you smell something that, you, that that it just overwhelms you. And it all has to do with his creation. And take it in. Don't just be like, you know, ignore it. But take a moment. When I was in Colorado um, with my, my wife, my mother-in-law, before I got married, you know, we were, we were in the, um, what is that called? I can't even think right now. The Grand Canyon. There you go. Glory to God. Thank you so much. In the Grand Canyon, and I'm a city boy from Miami, right? I had never seen the moon in its fullness, and I'll never forget being la- laying down in in, in a, um, on a cot, you know, because I'm, I'm a city boy. So I was like, "So where do we sleep?" And they're like, "Yeah, you just sleep in a cot." I was like, "Oh, to God!" They're like, are you serious? He's like, "Listen, if you sleep inside of a tent, it's gonna be, you know, you're gonna be sweating all night." So I was like, "Okay." So I trusted the guy, laid on this cot, and I and I never forget. At one point in the night, it was probably like three o'clock in the morning. I have a watch on, so I can't tell you, but all I know is that I felt like someone. Turned a light on me because I turned over from my stomach to my back and it felt like someone turned a light on in the room. When I opened my eyes, it was the moon. It was the brightness of the moon. How beautiful. We don't get to experience that stuff. But the thing is this, is that we can know that God is beautiful and we worship him in the beauty of his holiness. But then we also grow in beauty. Hello. I'm not talking about makeup. I'm not talking about Exercise. All of that's superficial. I'm just saying, man. I mean, the Bible talks about that, right? Beauty is fleeting. Isn't that what Proverbs says? Ladies, hello. I think it says something like beauty is fleeting, you know, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Something like that. Amen. Glory to God. Right? Because gravity takes its toll. Y'all take that wherever you want, but I'm just saying, right? Right? Gravity does its thing, right? Skin starts sagging. You don't look. I'm not talking about your pants. Hello, somebody. Put a belt on. That's not gravity, that is irresponsibility, right? What I'm saying is, right, you you know, g- gravity takes its toll on you. No matter how many mo- lotions and potions you got, hello. The other day, Sister Sonia, thank God, I know I'm getting older, man, because Sister Sonia, she bought me sh- for, for Christmas or something like that. She got me this little tube. It's, it's anti-aging cream for my eyes, glory to God. I was like, amen, somebody. I need to get that working, hallelujah. <laughs> right? I'm using it. I'm using it. Thank you so much. But, you know, y'all let me know how I look in a few months from now. But anyway... <laughs> So the truth of the matter is, we are supposed to grow in beauty. But how is that supposed to happen? It's not just external beauty. It's internal beauty. It's growing in the character. Listen, it's growing in the love of Christ. It's growing in the revelation of God. And as we spend time in the presence of the Lord, as we spend time in worship before God, as we spend time in the scriptures, as we spend time seeking God, all of a sudden we begin to experience a different beauty. You start to look like a different person to people around you because of what? Because they see something different and it is the beauty of God in your life. Minister Frank was talking to the men yesterday, and he was talking about how the old school church, you know, hey, man, we bust on the old school church and all their legalisms and all this kind of stuff. But let me tell you something. If they got one thing right, it was being holy unto the Lord. If they understood one thing is that, man, look, look, they they, might have decided they were going to stay so holy they were never going to touch a razor. Hello. They were never going to touch deodorant. They they, 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 They thought that was super holy. I don't think that that necessarily has to do with holiness. But... The point was that they were going to stay away from all of that stuff in order to do what? To preserve a testimony that God is holy and I'm his child. And here's the thing. Am I telling you to go back to that? No, I'm not telling you to go back to that. But what I am telling you is that you should find your way into the presence of God and allow his presence to transform you. Because he said this when he was talking to the men. He said, the one thing that I remember being in Chicago where he was at is that he was, he was sharing. He was saying, man, people would see you and they would know, hey, man, there's something different about you. Listen, church, our God is a beautiful God. His glory, his splendor is majestic and he wants to shine it through us. See, here's the thing. The big big idea of this part of the series is that to know God is to love him. The question for us, the questions for us are this. How has the knowledge of God affected our lives? And how is the knowledge we have of God shaping our character? Those are the questions. Everything we talked about here today, and listen, I don't expect you to remember every single one of them. But what I do expect is that you consider some of them and think about how are they affecting who you are as a Christian. You see, my big question in closing here is this, because when I looked at all of this, it's like, man, when I look at God's majesty, what, what should it provoke in me? It should provoke worship. Because here's the thing. All of us were created to worship. You get that? It's not a question of, do you worship? It's a question of, what do you worship? As I was reading, as I was studying for this and preparing, one of the books that I was reading is Who is God? And, and, and in that book, and I, and I can send you the PDF if you like, but in that book, you know, one, one of the things that he uses as an example, he says, look, I'm going to give you an example. When you worship food, you typically become a glutton. When you worship alcohol, you typically become an alcoholic. When you worship beauty, you typically become a narcissist. Hello. When you worship those kind of things, you become the thing that you worship to some degree. See, when you worship God Almighty, you become better. When you worship God Almighty, you don't become an alcoholic. You get delivered from alcoholism. When you worship God Almighty, you don't become a glutton. You get delivered. I know that's a tough one. But you get delivered from those things, those strongholds in your life because as you're worshiping him, you come to know him and the beauty of his holiness. You come to know him and he begins to liberate us and set us free so that way, we can do what? So we can bear his image. When we worship God in the context of who the scriptures say he is, we begin to understand who we are. See, that's what I want you to get. You begin to understand who you are. I was talking with, with, with Minister Lewis at my house. And we, were, we were I'm talking on Friday, Minister John. And we were talking about, you know, when we I go through the gospel and I talk every week, I share it every week. Every week, people need to understand that we are all born into sin, that every man on the planet is born into sin. It, you didn't choose that. That was something that happened way back in the garden. And because of that, we are all sinners by nature. And sin separates us from God. And what happens is because our sin separates us, from God we are on our way to hell we can do nothing to liberate ourselves from hell are you here I can't be good enough I can't give enough I can't do enough good things to outdo the bad things I mean I don't even know how that equates hello but the truth of the matter is there's nothing that can bring me back into a relationship with God except what Jesus did You see, the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus comes and dies for our sin. He dies for me. He dies for you. He gives his life so he can do what? So he can reconcile us to the Father. So he can bring us back into this relationship with God Almighty. And here's the beauty. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you shouldn't get discouraged when you hear the word sinner. You should be grateful because God delivered you from your sin. You should be reminded of what God delivered you from, not wallowing in it because you know what? Everything that I was, I no longer am. Hello. Because I am a new creation in Christ Jesus because of what? Because I put my faith in him. Because I put my trust in him. And here's what I want you to get is that for the rest of us, because there's two groups of people in the room always, those who have put their faith in Christ and those who have not. For those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, you need to understand who you are in him. You need to understand that you are no longer this separated person, this enemy of God, but you are his beloved son. You're his beloved daughter. He loves you, and you are his because of what he did for you. And so what should happen to us is we should be encouraged by the reality. And you know what worship does? Worship helps us to know who we are. Worship helps us to know that, man, I'm not, I'm not an enemy of God anymore. I'm a child of God. I am now in a relationship with God Almighty. I have been washed in holy blood. I am his because he says that I'm his. I am his image bearer. That's the beautiful thing. The beauty of the gospel. So the groups of people in the room, for those of you that are Christian, you should be encouraged by that. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, Jesus calls you today to put your faith in him. He calls you today to put your faith in this God that was described in this sermon today. Hello. Amen. Let's stand to our feet, please. Let's bow our heads. Knowing God leads us to love him, and loving him leads us to know who we are in him. Amen? We bow our heads and bow our hearts before God. If you're in this place and you do not know Jesus, Jesus is not the Lord of your life. You have not put your hope in him. Today is the opportunity for you to do that. To recognize that you are a sinner, that you are separated from him, and that he came to this place, to this earth, to die for you. Today's the opportunity for you to do that, for you to trust him with your life. And he wants to change your life for eternity, beginning right at this very moment. For those of you that are in this place, and you are believers in here, I hope you were encouraged, I hope you were reminded of the greatness of who God is, and that you will continue to grow in the revelation of the one that should be the object of our affection. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you today in submission before your presence, in submission before your greatness and your grace. And Lord, I pray today for those that are in here that do not know you and have not put their faith in you. Lord, I pray that you would put your hand upon them. I pray that you would draw their hearts unto you. I pray that you would let them know that you are speaking to them right now and that you're calling them to cry out to you and that they would trust you. I pray that they would not leave this place without making a wholehearted commitment to you. And I pray, Lord God, that they would confess that commitment to you first and foremost and then to others as they'll leave this place, God. I pray that they would not just make a commitment here in this room, but God, that they would walk with you from this moment on. I pray that you fill them with your Holy Spirit and empower them to live a life that brings glory and honor to you, God. Father, I pray for those that are here today with problems that they're overwhelmed by, that they're struggling with. Lord God, I just ask you that you would reveal unto them, even as we've spoken in your word, how great you are and that you are greater than any situation they're facing. I pray that they would know, Lord God, that you really are the sovereign God, that you really are in control of all things and that they can walk in complete and total freedom by the power of your spirit, that they can walk in victory, my God. Father, and I pray for those of us in this place, Lord God, that may not be going through anything, but Lord, just needed a reminder from you today of who you are. Father, may our worship be elevated. May our praise and adoration of you be elevated. May your name be glorified in us. May we be able to reflect on the wonder and the majesty of who you are. And Father, we pray above everything else that as we know you, that we will grow in love for you. And as we grow in our love for you, that we will grow in our understanding of who we are in you. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Everyone said? Come on, give God a hand of praise. He is worthy.